Have you ever felt that some Bible studies are too much? You know, they're too long, they're too deep, they're too serious, they're too theological, and yeah, maybe they're too boring. <laughs> well, we're going to try to remedy that with this podcast, the Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. We're going to take a close look at Scripture. We're going to look at the cellular base of what God was saying through His Word. But we're not going to make it too much of anything. We're going to try to make it just right for everything. I think it's high time that we take a deep dive into Resurrection Day. So often we get busy as churches, as pastors, as Sunday school teachers during Holy Week and Easter Sunday that we barely get a single sermon preached or a single lesson taught on Resurrection Day. Uh, There's so much going on that week. We have uh, Palm Sunday and then uh, Maundy Thursday and Good Friday and Easter comes and we throw in a quick Easter message or a quick Easter lesson and then the next week we're on to something else because Easter is over, come and gone and done and we're on to the next thing. But <laughs> is that is that right? Because Resurrection Day is the most important day in the history of the world. There's never been a more important, meaningful day than Resurrection Day. And for us as Christians, without the resurrection, we have nothing. So uh, we're going to start a new series, and this is number one. And we're going to talk about the importance of the resurrection. We're also going to talk about how the women were the ones who were first at the empty tomb on that Sunday morning to find that Jesus had risen and he was no longer dead, and why that is so significant in the story of Resurrection Day. So that's what this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study is all about. And so it's time to start a new series. And the reason I said that those uh, the music today was perfect is because um, I thought we need to spend some time looking at Resurrection Day uh, a little bit more in depth. Uh, coming out of Easter last Sunday was my inspiration for that. And uh, the, the reason I, I kind of feel like that is because... Uh, Easter Easter comes too quickly, uh, I think. Um, you know, uh, when you attend church and uh, Easter is coming and you get to Holy Week, there's so much going on in Holy Week. You have Palm Sunday, and so you do a Palm Sunday message. 
then you get to, if we said in our church have a Maundy Thursday service, which we did on Thursday evening, commemorating the Last Supper and Garden of Gethsemane. And we went, it's, it's kind of like a Good Friday service, it's just held on Thursday. So if you have a Maundy Thursday service, you have that. Then you have a Good Friday service. Uh, some people have those at noon. Some people have those in the evening. Uh, some people have either or Monday, Thursday, or Good Friday, or both. And then it's Easter Sunday. And so, uh, you know, you do the Monday Thursday, you do the, uh, the Palm Sunday sermon, and then you do the Monday Thursday message, and then you do the Good Friday message, then you do the Easter message, and then you're off to something else. And um, so if you're you know, so most churches and Sunday school classes too, you get into Easter and you get one lesson or one sermon. And and that's not enough. <laughs> I mean, I understand, believe me, because having been a preacher for those years, I would did the same thing. Uh, but when you look at, and as David Palmer has said so many times, you know, like half of the Gospels are taken up or have to, to do with that last week of Jesus' life, and especially with a concentration on the crucifixion and the resurrection. And if that is that important that these gospel writers spent that much time looking at that, uh, it doesn't seem to me that I understand why it happens, but it seems to me like just one lesson or one sermon, we just need more than that. So there's no better place to kind of dive in more deeply than in a Sunday school class where we can kind of set our own pace and do what we want to do. Uh, and so I thought, let's spend some time coming out of Easter and have a little series here looking at Resurrection Day, looking at the day that Jesus was resurrected. And so we're going to take a look at it from, from three different standpoints. We're going to look at what happened on Resurrection Day in the morning, what happened on Resurrection Day in the afternoon, and what happened on Resurrection Day in the evening. Because there are, there are passages of Scripture that detail all three of those time frames. There's a morning scene, there's an afternoon or an early evening scene, and then there's a later evening scene, all on Resurrection Sunday. So uh, I thought, let's, let's just look into that. So uh, when Ruth picks about Jesus being alive and risen from the dead, uh, she didn't know we were going to do this, we are going to start this. Couldn't be better for our beginning of our resurrection series. And then Rejoice, which was the first song, uh, we're going to talk about that too, about rejoicing. So that said, um, there really is nothing more important for us as Christians than the resurrection of Christ. There is nothing that is more important. It is by far and away the most important thing that sets us as believers, as Christians, apart from any other religion, any other non-believer, whatever you want to say. Having our Lord raised from the dead sets us apart from everyone else. It is the one distinctive. And in the Bible, when the word holy is used, you hear holy, holiness, the, the origination of the word holy is to be set apart. 
And so when you say we're going to be holy in our lives and our actions and holy in our obedience, anytime you use the word holy in any context, it means you're, going to, you're saying you're going to be set apart. And we can, we can have certain things in common with other religions or other people, but what sets us apart is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No other religion, no other cult, no, uh, no, other, no other people have that, have a risen Lord who came back from the dead. The other thing that's important about the resurrection is that if you don't have the resurrection, everything else about Jesus loses its power. Everything else, without the resurrection, everything else about Jesus loses its power. Uh, Jesus' birth loses its power if there's no resurrection. Even if it were a virgin birth, it loses its power without the resurrection. Because what does it lead to? If it doesn't lead to salvation, if it doesn't lead to us to have our sins forgiven, if it doesn't lead to us to having eternal life in the presence of God, then the virgin birth has no power. Uh, it also, if you don't have the resurrection, it takes away the power of the miracles that Jesus did. I mean, still wonderful, beautiful, amazing miracles that he would have done, that if he did all the miracles he did, uh, he still did, but didn't have the resurrection, uh, they would still be amazing, cra- crazy, amazing, how could he do it? They still, miracles are still miracles, but they lose their power to bring us to see him as the Messiah, as the Savior who can save us. It, then those miracles just become a sideshow. And also his teaching and preaching loses its power if it doesn't lead us to a risen Lord who can save us. He saved us through his death on a cross, but it wasn't his death that gave his crucifixion power. What gave his crucifixion power was his resurrection. So if you leave Jesus on the cross, you you lose your you lose the power of what Jesus came to do. He came to die, but if he just dies, what does it matter? The resurrection is what gives the cross its power. Um, I remember uh, when I was, I think I was, in, I was in junior high or high school, and uh, when the uh, musical Jesus Christ Superstar came out by Andrew Lloyd Webber, and I love the music in that uh, in that musical, and uh, I love the musical itself, but the uh, the criticism of that when it first came out was that as a way that it was originally written by Andrew Lloyd Webber is it ended with Jesus' crucifixion. And it's like, well, it loses his power. If he just dies and that's the end of the story, it's, it, you don't leave fulfilled by the message of the story. It's like Jan and I, uh, remember when the movie La La Land came out? Uh, I don't know if you know La La Land. But like all the reviews said, oh, this is the new modern musical. This is the new modern musical. This is like today's contemporary, hearkening back to the days of Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire and all of this. And so Jan and I go to this movie, La La Land, thinking, all right, we're going to see this old-fashioned musical. We're so excited about it. Can't wait. And we saw it. We watched it. 
And then at the end of the movie, like the the the, the man and the woman who in Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire days, they fall in love, get together, and spend. <laughs> You know, they live happily ever after. No, in La La Land, she goes and marries someone else. He goes and marries someone else. And they lose touch with each other. I'm like, what? I did not leave there feeling good about that movie. Because the man and the woman are supposed to end up together. I mean, that's what a musical is. So the same thing with Jesus Christ Superstar or any faith or any cult or anything. If they just leave Jesus on the cross, it loses its power. Yes, please. Yeah. As all of what we've been studying in the Old Testament, all those sacrifices and everything, there was a way that God showed that he was accepting that. The resurrection showed that God accepted that sacrifice, that that indeed was the ransom paid, and that therefore our salvation was complete. All goes, and I'm sure you're going to do it in 1 Corinthians 15. Goes in great detail. It says we're most miserable if we don't have the resurrection. The resurrection is the fulfillment yeah. of those feasts, yeah. and they pointed to him. And they're without power. You know, those sacrifices had temporary power. Mm -hmm. They absolved you of your sin for the moment. But they had to come back and keep doing the sacrifices over and over again. They weren't permanent. Jesus fulfilled them, becomes the permanent sacrifice for us. But it, it takes the resurrection to, yeah. to do that. So, But you're right. Let's turn, as a matter of fact, to 1 Corinthians, because I was going to do that. Chuck, as usual, is a step ahead of me. But this is, this is what Paul himself says about the importance of the resurrection. So it's 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. And I'm going to start with verse 12. So 1 Corinthians 15, 12. Paul says, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But then he changes this, the paradigm. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of the resurrection, we, we talked about that. The first fruit, and he was raised on the Feast of First Fruits on that Sunday. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ the first fruits. Then, when he comes, those who belong to him. So, Paul makes it very clear: the resurrection is the linchpin of everything. Without that, we're lost. We're to be pitied, and everything that we're doing doesn't make a difference. It loses its power. John MacArthur says uh, his quote is: "There would be no Christianity if there were no resurrection." 
And that's exactly true. So based on that, I thought, you know, the importance of the resurrection demands that we study it a little bit more. So I thought that's what we would do for, for this series. So look over, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna look at the morning first, the morning of Resurrection Sunday. And we're going to go to Matthew 28 uh, to do that. So if you want to turn over to Matthew 28. I think I turned the air on. Ah, okay, good. <laughs> we turned our air conditioner on last night for the first time, so. Ah, that'll do it. So, you guys are familiar. And we're going to go into this. I'm, we're going to read. We're going to go study this. But, but first, let's just look at the, the the big picture here for a minute. You guys are familiar with the story of the resurrection, of course. So I want you. To, I, I thought we would just kind of do a little mental exercise here, and I thought it would be good to like put yourself in the position of the disciples and the women who followed Jesus, who had been walking with him during these last three years, who saw the miracles firsthand who, you know, you were in the boat when, and, and I, I like this idea, you know, when Jesus calmed the storm, you know, so it's, so I'm going to exaggerate a little bit, but here's an example of what it would be like, right? It's like, the winds are going, the, the, the water's coming over, they're getting swamped, they're going to die, what's going to happen? It's loud, it's crazy, the thunder, the lightning, the rain, the rain. and Jesus says, stop, be still. And it stops immediately. It doesn't like die down. It doesn't like, you know, how some storms come and go, right? And storms go, they kind of fade. No, it's like it's raging. All of a sudden, it's stopped. And you experience that. And you saw Peter walk on the water, or you did walk on the water. You saw Jesus walk on the water. You heard the you heard the teaching. You were there for the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you. We're there on Palm Sunday when everyone's declaring him, Hosanna, he who comes in the name of the Lord from Psalm 118. And you believe in your gut that he is the Messiah, that he is the anointed one. He's the one that you waited on. You believe in your gut that he is going to deliver your people, the Jewish people, from the clutches of Rome. You believe that you're about to enter into a kingdom. You know, James and John came and said, I want to sit on your right or your left, you know? And because they thought we're going in, we're ushering in to this is just a matter of days away. We're, we're there. This is happening. This is now. And you have all these great hopes and expectations. And then Friday comes and Jesus is arrested. Okay, so that's bad enough, you know. If he is the Messiah and he's going to overthrow the powers that be, how does he get arrested by the Jewish leaders? How is he then he's turned over to the Romans, to Pilate, and 
then you see him come out and he's bloodied and beaten and has the crown of thorns and you know then he's sentenced to crucifixion and you're saying what is what's going on here and yet maybe you still think you still think you know he can he can still he can still do it he can still he can still come through on this you know if he really is who I think he is he really is the messiah he can still he can still overcome this you know God's on his side if God's on his side and you keep expecting any minute for him to rise up and cast off the Romans and all of this and you're and then you know he ends up going to Golgotha and you're thinking still can still and then the crucifixion and then he's dead and then he's buried and now you're into Saturday which is the Sabbath day for the Jews and how would you feel how would you feel if you didn't know the rest of the story that you know if you put yourself in their skin at that moment Grady well I just wanted to say it's very interesting you should bring this up because I did that thing during Easter week that that has to David outline every day looking at oh yeah mm-hmm. and he named Saturday as the day of anticipation Saturday they were so down it was desperation it was total I mean Yes, he'd said that he would rise, but I don't think they interpreted it clearly the way he said it, but, you know, what he truly meant. And most of them didn't remember it. Yeah, they didn't remember it. And it had to have been the darkest day of their lives. It had to have been very dark. And it felt like the men hadn't walked the road in Expand on that. The two, the two, the two followers of Christ. Christ comes alongside of them, and, and he says something like, "What are you talking about?" And he says, "You're the only one in, in Israel who doesn't know what happened." How can you not know? Yeah, we were expecting the Messiah, and instead he was crucified. Wasn't that active resurrection? But they didn't know yet. They didn't know yet. Yeah, they're confused. They're confused. Uh, Ruth. We anticipate it, but they didn't anticipate it. Exactly. For us, it can be a day of anticipation. We know the Chuck, did you want to say something? No, I just said they didn't recognize him until he said, you know. Yeah, until he broke the bread. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Joe? Well, let's don't forget the disciples locked themselves away because they were afraid of the Romans. And especially the conspiracy theories that would start popping up because um, they put guards on the tomb. But they were afraid to step out. They didn't know what to do. And then combine that with Peter's denial. Uh, and Judas's betrayal. And Judas' betrayal. Yep. The, yep. betrayal. Yep. the shame and guilt that would have been on everybody at that time. How could we have let this happen? Why did it happen? You know, and it's a natural reaction with us when we encounter death with a loved one or anything of that nature that we're really connected to. You get that empty feeling and you feel there's nothing else to happen. 
So those are emotions that have to be worked through a, you know, on, on a slow pace. And then the other issue that I see is we minimize the role that women filled when Jesus rose from the grave. And we neglect it. It's like the woman at the well. We neglect it because women had a powerful impact. And it's like, oh, they're just... The women are just emotional, and men wouldn't admit their emotions. Well, that's one more reason that testifies to the truth of the gospel. They wouldn't have the women in there and find this, the tomb, because nobody would have believed if the woman said, like you said, which is the emotional Well, Well, that, go ahead. Why it's so important what you're doing here is the first four verses of 1 Corinthians 15 where it says, this is the gospel, that Christ was crucified and he died, he was buried, and he rose again. The first two of those, it says, according to the scriptures. Nobody, you know, you're saved by believing that, but you've got to know what those scriptures say about those things, and that's what you're doing right now. The resurrection has given us those scriptures that just say everything about it. Believing those three things, you're saved. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And it's interesting that you guys should bring up the thing about the women because today, with the stature that women have, it's hard for us to understand where women were then. Cheryl, did you have something you want to add? To well, this? in Matthew, or Matthew 26, 31, this was um, where Jesus... Uh, foretell Peter's denial, but also in 31, he warned them, you will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. So, and actually when I stud- when we studied this a few weeks ago, some place else, I, I just thought that these men who saw all that stuff that you're talking about could fall away. Woe to me for how I could just, yeah. What's interesting is if you if you go to the next verse there, Cheryl. Yeah. Verse 32 it says Jesus said, "But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee." So he told them right then and there. Just before it was going to happen. But now look at what Peter's response to that is in verse 33. Peter replied, even if they all fall away, I will never. So, so, so here, instead of saying, oh, you're rising, you're, you're, go, you're, 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 going, to be, you're going to be, Peter says, but what about me? What does that have to do with me? Instead of being like, oh, my goodness, you're going to rise from the dead. That's like the most incredible thing you said there. No, Peter is like, but what about me? You know, I mean, so no wonder they didn't remember because all they were into was what does this have? What does this have to do for me? What impact does that have on my life? And so they forgot it. But to get back to the the woman thing too is, it, it's true. It's so true. What you guys are saying is that women could not even testify in the Jewish court. They weren't even allowed to worship. There was a court of women in the temple. They couldn't go any farther than that. That was as far as they could go. So they didn't have a place in the synagogue. They didn't have a place in 
the structure of the government or even in the religious hierarchy. They weren't allowed to testify in the uh, in the courts, and so and where you see this really happening is, and we'll get into this a little bit later, but where uh, the women go back to tell Mary Magdalene goes back to talk to uh, Peter and uh, John. Now, first of all, let me also let me back up just a minute. Uh, so. When I said that, you know, you were there and you saw the crucifixion from Scripture, the only disciple we know who was definitely at the crucifixion is John. Okay, for all we know, all the rest of them are in hiding, afraid for their lives, just like Joe described. So if if the other disciples, which they did, of course, found out about the crucifixion, they found out about it secondhand. They, they were told about it by John, perhaps, who was there, who went back and spread the word among them about what had happened, or the women went back, or maybe just other people, but they weren't there to see it firsthand because, again, what about me? i got to take care of myself here. What does that have to do with, with me? And so they're already checked out, right? And uh, just John and the women are there for crucifixion. So they're in hiding, and so it's the women who go to the tomb and they're the ones now who God entrusts with this announcement. Uh, John MacArthur says the women had to transfer from fascination with the resurrection to proclamation of the resurrection. They were fascinated by the resurrection. Now that God, now Jesus tells them, or the angel tells them, go and tell. Now you go from fascination to, pro- and that's the same thing we do in our Christian walk. When we, when we become saved and we accept Jesus as a Savior, we're fascinated by what Jesus did for us on the cross and how we can be saved through our faith in him. That's a fascinating thing, but that's not enough. I mean, then after we have become fascinated with it, we need to go and proclaim it to the world, Right? Because there are no, there should be no secret Christians in the world. Because everything that Jesus did, nothing that Jesus did was in secret, and none of us should be secret Christians. So that's the same way in our own walk in life. We go from fascination with the cross and the resurrection and how we can be saved through our faith in Christ, but that fascination eventually has to be transformed into proclamation. But isn't it just like, isn't it just like God? And it even says in the Bible, you know to use the weak things of the world to confound uh, the strong. And so it is really kind of apropos that it's the women who go to the cross first and who are given this message. But my point about the, uh, when, uh, when Mary Magdalene goes back to tell Peter and John is that like, if they believe Mary Magdalene, wouldn't they just say, oh, great, excellent, cool, that's, that's fantastic. Now, now you know, what, what do we do? You know, we're, we're, what's going to happen next? Blah, 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 you know, whatever. But what did they do instead? They went, why did they go to the tomb themselves? They weren't sure that the women were, had their, you know, I, I don't know if you heard me say earlier, but uh, when, you go through ordination for American Baptists, you take a test that's 400 questions that you know you have to fill in like the little circle with the pencil. 
And um, so that is then given to a psychologist who reviews it and to see if you have all your marbles. And uh, I found out during my psychological evaluation that uh, that this is the same test they use for people who are going to go to, and Stan, you probably know better than me about this, but when you go on trial, if your defense is you know, reason of insanity, you take this test. And if you fail it, then you may not have to uh, face, you, know, you might be able to get off of it for reason of insanity. But I said, you know, some of the questions I knew how to answer, because it said, uh, do you hear voices telling you to? <laughs> I know I should probably say no to that one, you know. But, uh, but you know, th th they, uh, they had to go and see for themselves if this was true or not. Because for all they knew, those women failed that test. It's like, you didn't pass the insanity test, you know, I don't think. So, uh, yeah, so... If it had been, what if it had been one of the other disciples who had come? What if it had been a man who had come? Would they have then said, would they have then said, oh, oh yeah, sure, of course, we believe you. We don't need to go and look. We believe you. Nancy? Uh, Nancy? I, um, I'm reading the book, I think rereading, uh, Sharon Gaines, she wrote several years ago uh, about what, what does Jesus really think of women? Oh, and it, it's really good because you know it was ancient philosophers who put women in their degraded place. It wasn't Jesus. No. Uh, but you have to stop and think. Those women had been with those disciples, and I think, um, and it was only John and Peter that went to the tomb. Yes. But I think it's a, that is a typical for many people. Maybe, maybe I don't think it's just men, but you have to see it to believe it. Those that kind of attitude. So they knew those women, and I believe they trusted those women, and only two had to go see it for themselves. And I don't think it was because they were hysterical, although they could. No, I don't think so at all. <laughs> but you know, they they knew those women. It's not like they hadn't been with them for the last three years as well. Because right. Those there were women that traveled in that. Place. Oh yeah. Don't you wonder about why more didn't go? Well, see, these are these are women who were there. I'm talking about the disciples. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but these are women. You're right, and these are women who were there. They went through. They saw everything. Most of the things the disciples saw, they saw. For most of the things that happened, they were there. Um, but I just wonder, you know, maybe Peter and John just wanted to go see it because they wanted to see something amazing that was happening. They also were going to be witnesses that wouldn't write the scriptures. Right. So but you, it, don't, you don't think they might have doubted about it. They didn't go, but the two, the two who were the closest to Jesus said, "Oh, I'm going to go." But well, maybe, but if if you read, if you read in John the passage about this, uh, it says that when John got there, he looked into the empty tomb and believed, but Peter looked and and had to deal with it. It doesn't say Peter believed. It leads you to believe that Peter, it was an amazing thing, but he, Peter wasn't still really sure, which might have been partly because he would deny Jesus, and so he was feeling more guilty and worse about it. We don't know all of that. But, I, but, but the, the scripture is pretty clear that, the, that Peter and John did not believe the women. John didn't believe it till he got there and saw the empty tomb with his own two eyes. And Peter, even when he went there and saw it with his own two eyes, Still wasn't a hundred percent in, 
So I believe that the women were used by God for a real purpose, but I don't think Peter and John, I think they gave them enough credibility. They gave them enough credibility to go look and see, because they really thought they were off the wall. They wouldn't even go on to look at it. They would totally have just discounted it hundred percent. It's like I say in my job, you know, I'm a salesman and I, I, I and so it used to be, I've been doing it for like 35 years. So it used to be when I first started in business of selling, uh, you, everything was done on a relationship basis, pretty much. And because people liked you, they would order from you. But that's not the case anymore. Uh, nowadays, really, if you're a nickel high, you're not getting the deal. Nowadays, so it used to be that the relationship got you an order. Today, the only thing the relationship does is it gets you a chance to bid on the deal. If you don't have the relationship, you don't get a chance to bid. So the relationship gives you a chance to bid. So I think the women, you know, they had enough of a relationship with the disciples and with Peter and John that it led them to say, let's go and see ourselves, rather than just totally discounting it and not going. But I don't think they actually believed it until they saw it themselves in their two eyes. I was just going to say, as far as the other disciples, if somebody came in here right now today and said, um, you know, there's a guy over in Newport, Kentucky, that was just raised from the dead. How, how many of you would go to see him? Yeah. Well, I, think, I think that you have to give the disciples a, a little bit of slack here, you know. Thomas heard from ten disciples. He right. Said, I'm not going to believe you. <laughs> exactly. Never in history has anybody been raised from death to eternal life. I want to go see it. You know, I want to go see it. The only time that people have been raised from the dead was when someone else was the mechanism. It was a prophet that was there that laid hands. It was Jesus that was there that was prayed. But no one had resurrected himself. Basically, you know, God resurrected without. Without any outside, uh, you know, vehicle, but right, never, never died, never died. All those other people died again eventually. Good, good point, Chuck. All those other people came back from dead eventually, died again. So, but Jesus did not. But uh, go ahead, yes, Dennis, please. I, I jotted a few notes from the Greek text here, uh, back in uh, the twentieth chapter. Uh, both went to the tomb, John and Peter. Um, John outran Peter. He bent over and he looked, and the word is blepo. I mean, that's what you, he looked. You're saying with your eyes. Eyes observed. Right, that's what that means, yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. Um, he bent over and he looked at the scripts lying there. He didn't go in. Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived, went into the tomb. He saw, same kind of idea, but there it was theoretical, which is theorized. What he was kind of Understand it. trying to figure out what yeah. was going on, what had happened here. Uh, and uh, he saw the cloth and the burial cloth and so on. Finally, John went back to, get out of the way, Peter. <laughs> John went back in. He reached the tomb first. He went inside. He saw, and that word is oyer, which means he saw and he believed. So there were three different kinds of seeing that went on here. And so I give credit to both of them. Uh, Peter saw, or, or John saw, he looked at it, kind of thought about that, but Peter wrestled with it, uh, and John wrestled with it when he believed it. Right. And so, 
uh, at least Peter uh, had that conversation with John on the way back, I'm certain. Right, so John wrestled with it and left believing. Peter wrestled with it and left still wrestling. So, but exactly, good point, exactly, right. Uh, but to answer, to get to Grady, one thing about, you're talking about the, the two, the only two went. Well, so try this on for size. What if the other disciples heard about the resurrection from John, who has gone at this point to the grave, the tomb, has looked in, as Dennis said, wrestled with it, and he now believes. What if John brings back the word of the resurrection to the other disciples, and they don't have to go and see, because it's John, a man, and a disciple who told them, instead of the women. In other words, when John says it, it's enough belief that I don't have to go see it myself. When the women say it, I believe him enough to go see, but I need to go see. It's just the difference between the way men and women were respected and what they said was respected I think, I back think, in that day. I still think if a man who said it, they all want to go. Well, I would think so, me and you, but <laughs> but also, don't forget, they were still they were still threatened. They were still feeling threatened at this point. If they were out in public, running to the tomb where Jesus was buried, where they know guards had been posted for the distinct reason of keeping their disciples away from the tomb, they probably didn't have enough courage at that point to go to the tomb, by and large. One of the points I wanted to make, and I, I, I hope it's on, it's on point, but That's okay. They didn't even believe Jesus the night before when he was telling them these things, and they fell asleep. They couldn't even stay awake long enough. I mean, that's how little they believed or even understood, that they couldn't even stay awake long enough to pray with him. So it's very little, um, um, it's quite obvious that they really, I mean, this was really hard for them to get their hands Yeah. On, on that, Grady, I have to give him a little bit of a pass because, uh, you know, it was after a long Seder meal where they had eaten and they had sung, and then they went out. And, you know, after I have a nice big meal and I sit down and I try to pray, I can't stay awake either. <laughs> I, yeah, I understand. One of you is going to betray me, and, yeah, one of you is going to deny me. I understand, but... You know, the, the mind is willing, but as Jesus said, the spirit. Greg, you have something to say. Go ahead. I don't think it would matter if it was a man or a woman that said it. Thomas didn't believe. Ten disciples told him it was real. All the women told him it was real. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. There's two of the ways you could look at it. You could look at it that, that, uh, that nine of the disciples believed the women and only two didn't, and they had to go. That's true. We could look at it that way. And I think, this is personally, I think more than likely, they're the really kind of the leaders of the disciples. They're the one closest to Jesus. It's yeah. most likely they would have been sent out by the others could be. on their behalf to come back and report. Because you couldn't have all of them out there right. running around the tomb. That would be dangerous. Right? The Romans would really go. Well, I, think, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think these women, after meeting with the, the angel, they were excited, they were motivated, they were inspired. And they carried that message to the disciples, and so there was an ex- there was a lot of excitement there. And they had to go see for themselves. But I think the angel was was behind all of it. Was the the power and the motivation to get them moving? Yes, absolutely. 
And 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 go ahead, Ruth. Right after the angel talked to him, look in verse verse eight. Um, the angel said, Go quickly and tell the disciples, they're going to heading to Galilee. There you will see him. Now I approach the women, hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. But look who shows up. Jesus. Yes, Jesus goes and, and goes to the women mm-hmm. first, before anybody else. Before they could get a chance to tell him. I, I like that. The beautiful. Because it was women, but I mean, he, he just shows up as soon as they see the angel. The beautiful thing about scripture is that we don't have all of the answers and all of the details. So Mike can have his opinion and Greg can have his opinion and Grady can have her opinion and I can have my opinion and we don't know exactly. It could have been any of those. But it gives us something to think about, doesn't it? And gives us something to be inspired by and gives us something to hang our hats on because all of these theories we've talked about today have a different way of encouraging me. Whether it's you know, the two sent out because the ten sent them, or they didn't believe till they got there, or it doesn't matter, men or women, it's just each of us have an individual tolerance for different things. Whatever actually happened, any of those could have happened, and all of them inspire me in a, one way or another. And that's the exciting part. So before we finish today, this is going to be the last thing. Um, Let's just read this passage real quick, and next week we'll go delve into it. Today was kind of like an overview, uh, but we don't want to leave here without at least looking at the scripture. Matthew 20, oh, two weeks, two weeks, two weeks, not next, two weeks, two two weeks from now we'll delve into it. Okay, so let's just look at it today. Uh, Matthew 28, Matthew 28, uh, we're going to read uh, 1 through 10, 1 through 10. So it says, after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, We know now that Sabbath is Saturday, so that will be Sunday. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, who's the other Mary, uh, went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus. No, they weren't. What were they looking for? They came to look at the tomb. He says, You're looking for Jesus. Why did he change? Okay, we'll talk about that. So do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. He said that? Uh, Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Uh, Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So that is the morning of Resurrection Day, and um, we'll go back to it in two weeks and flesh it out some more.
that concludes this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. I pray that you've learned something new about the Lord today, and He's given you some new insight into who He is and how much He loves you. Remember, the eternal God is our refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. May in that refuge today and those everlasting arms, you find the provision that you need, the protection that you need, the power that you need, and through those, the peace that you need. Remember, he said, my peace I give you, peace be with you. Shalom.